scripture reading in preparation for the sermon is going to be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. This is the King James Version I'm reading from. Hast thou not known? Has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. That concludes the reading of the Lord's word. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. We are excited and thrilled to have you with us, and we are excited and thrilled to be here. Good to see Sister Allen back from her surgery on her eyes, and good to see all those who are back who have not been feeling well and are back with us today. It's good to see you. Good to have you. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful for you. We have had an outstanding series of sermons this weekend. If you missed them then you did indeed miss a treat. You missed the presentation and the preaching of God's word, and it has just been outstanding. Amen? For those who have been here this weekend, I feel like you could say amen to that. Our speaker has been Neil Pollard. Neil is a friend, a faithful gospel preacher, and just an outstanding uh, uh, Christian, faithful to God's word, preacher of the of the bible and we appreciate him for that neil has attended uh he is originally from oxford mississippi raised in georgia uh, attended faulkner for freed hardeman bear valley received his uh, ba his bible uh, his master's in bible he is married to kathy uh they have three sons gary who is married to chelsea and uh, he is a youth minister at hope arkansas Dale, their son, is the pulpit minister of Huntsville, uh, Alabama. And Carl, their third son, is a pulpit minister in Grant, Alabama. They are three for three. He has preached full-time in Livingston, Alabama, Mechanicsville, Virginia, Denver, Colorado, where he most recently preached and uh, was there until the earlier part of this year. He's recently moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he is working with the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ. He has been involved for many years in preacher training, Bible camp directing, TV work, and lectureship directing. He has preached in 26 states and nine foreign countries. I was talking to someone this morning on my way into the building and they've been here the whole weekend, so I said, we've had some outstanding preaching this weekend, haven't we? He said, yes, we have. And he said, he's so humble, so down to earth. 
And he's not the first person to say that about Neil. He just is a very kind, compassionate, good person, humble. And uh, I'm thankful to have him here with us this weekend. He's done, just done an outstanding job. And I know he'd like for me to get down so he could get up. And I'll do that. But when I was thinking about introducing Neil, none of that actually was on my mind. I just did that because that's what was on the paper. And for those of you who didn't know him, well, that might be helpful for you to hear that. But what I wanted to talk about was what we heard in Bible class this morning. I have sat in a lot of Bible classes. I've even taught a couple here or there. But I have never heard a better advertisement for why one should attend a Bible class than what we heard this morning. If you were here this morning and you heard that material, would you say amen to that? If you were not here this morning, listen, this is not puffery or smoke blowing. You need to find that on our website and you would benefit yourself by hearing that and for those of us who did hear that what a blessing it was to our lives and how much it will aid us in our understanding and approach to the Bible and the ability to understand it I have heard a lot of Bible classes I just don't know that I've ever heard one better put together and more suited to encourage us and to help us understand the scriptures. It was just outstanding. Neil, I won't take any of my time, but I could. But I won't. Come preach to us. Good morning. I'm from the school of just preach, and uh, I want to hasten to that, but I want to say how grateful I am to you for the invitation, for the ability to be here. It has been an honor. Uh, I have long uh, highly regarded Eric. He is one of my very favorite preachers, uh, one of the most successful gospel meetings we ever had when I was in Colorado. He was the preacher. People coming in the door saying, I've been looking forward to this all day. The quality that he always puts out is, is so wonderful. But I understand now why he has wanted to be here for so long, 22 years. That's incredible. This is a wonderful congregation. You are an oasis in a spiritual desert. This is a special church. I can see it in the leadership. I can see it in the, your preacher. I can see it in all your active workers, your intense interest, your love of God's Word. I'm just so honored that you had me to be here this weekend. I'll never forget it or the kindnesses that you have shown. It has impressed me deeply. You've made me feel like I am one of you. And I'm grateful for that. You're loving and you're friendly. And that's a lot of folks want to think that they are. Let me say, you really are. I know... You think there are areas where you need to grow, and because you're human beings, that's true. But I'm just so grateful that I was among you this weekend. I just picked this up. I don't know if this is the one that I need. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a test. I don't know. It should probably show green, shouldn't it? I bet you that makes it work, doesn't it? We have been talking this weekend about how great our God is. 
And with that in mind, we understand and appreciate the uh, fact that His Word demonstrates His greatness. And there's so many ways for us to see that. But as we regard the great text of the Bible and how it helps us to appreciate God as the author of it, I thought there was no way for us to end this series of lessons. We have one more this afternoon right after lunch without speaking of the very author of the Bible itself. Our youngest son, Carl, who we call Carl Normus, a, a little fellow about six foot five, was once a little boy. Hard for me to remember that. But on one occasion, uh, Carl told his mother and I, he said, you know, when I was small, I, I used to lay on my bed and I used to think about God. And I thought, what does God look like? And I wondered what God was doing and if God knew that I was thinking about Him. Do you remember your first conscious thoughts about God and who God is and what He's like? Thinking tangibly about the God that we see with the eyes of faith? I remember being a little boy and laying at bed. Something about being in bed at night. But I remember laying there and thinking about how long has God been? And I thought back and I thought, God has been before my parents. And they're old and God's been there before him, them. And then I thought, God was there before my grandparents. And I remember straining my mind to think about those that I had read about in school who lived a long time ago and thinking about the Bible and about those that lived in the time of the Bible and straining my mind to comprehend <clears throat> that before God ever created anything out there in that everlasting realm as I could think and conceive of it, there's God. He's here and God will be so long as there will be out in that eternity after time. And to conceive of a God as we're confined by time and other limitations of the body. How great is our God. I remember going to my friends' houses and they uh, would often pray that rote prayer that you've heard, you've probably participated in. God is great. God is good. And while it's simplistic and sometimes we don't think about the depth of its meaning, how truly that expresses the God that is revealed to us. When we say there is a text for that, we come to understand the very limitation that we have placed upon ourselves because when we take this book in its entirety from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is revealing His mind. He's revealing His character. He's revealing Himself to us. And with all of that outpouring of revelation in 1,189 chapters and 31,102 verses, as He reveals Himself, we say, I still don't fully comprehend God. Our Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods, Psalm 95 and verse 3. And so to break down and look at one chapter... We see God's greatness. And we at least try to begin to whet our appetite in the infinite God that we've thought about since we could think about such things. As we think about the greatness of our God, there was a song that was written in the religious world about 15 years ago by the title. And you see as it sits on the screen in front of you how great is our God. And that is written with an exclamation point. How great is our God? 
And yet, of course, we can ask it with a, a question mark. How great is our God? And as we come to Isaiah chapter 40, I'd like for us just to see three representative things that shows us how great our God is. And as we thus explore, the first thing we see as we ask the question, how great is our God? He is tender. Verse 1 through verse 11. I need to see this. Because there are things that are going to happen in the rest of this chapter that show me the awesome, infinite nature of God. And so as that's set up, and even in this paragraph, I began to see some of those qualities of the vastness and the power and the fearfulness of God. In verse 5, I see that He has a glory that is unsurpassed. In verse 8, even though I see that I, my flesh, and, and all of creation is like grass that fades and withers, His Word, the product that comes from Him, is forever. And He is a great and powerful God who rules with His great arm, verse 10. You know, as Isaiah has been building toward the things that we read about in this second uh, section of the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, he points out graphically just how terrible man's sin problem is. It's one of the great uh, chapters of the Bible to show us just what we wrestle with and struggle with and how God looks at our sin. As God looks down at our sin, he would describe it as an illness. It is a pervasive illness that goes from the sole of the foot to the top of the head. He describes it as wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. It's a bad problem. Isaiah 5.20, it manifests itself in that we call good evil and evil good. We put light for darkness and darkness for light and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so with that fully in front of us, understanding our dependency and our need of God. Throughout Isaiah... Isaiah says, I want to show you God's answer for that. God is going to send of Himself the Messiah. The book of Isaiah, outside of the book of Psalms, paints more pictures of the coming Lord and Savior than any other Old Testament book. And it's telling us, you've got problems. He's got the answer. And He's coming. And He's going to take care of that. And so as we anticipate that, I want you to see that the God that we serve and the God that we sing about and that we have prayed to, that we have commemorated in the Lord's Supper to whom we have given and whose word we are looking at now is a God who can be described as tender as we see the gentleness of our God. He's unfolded in several ways. First of all, He comforts. You know, God intentionally wants that to occur. And so He speaks to His prophet and He says, Comfort, oh comfort my people. Speak to Israel so that they would understand that great and gentle God. As you walk through and see not only the Messianic prophecies, right here in this text in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3, we have one of the, uh, the prophecies, one of the few prophecies about John the Baptist whose coming is foretold, who Luke quotes almost verbatim in Luke chapter 3 verse 4 through verse 6. And then Jesus comes and is the embodiment of the comfort that God through Isaiah calls for. Jesus, who would stand before the people, the master teacher, and would say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
The God that we serve, that, that God that is so tender, is so tender because of the comfort that He gives. You think about the dark and difficult times of your life. How you have leaned upon Him when you have exhausted your resources and you have found the comfort of God. But His tenderness is also seen in that He smooths. He later speaks of the idea that He raises the valleys and He cuts down the mountains and He makes the rough terrain smooth. He makes it a plain that one can traverse with ease. Kenneth Anderson in Kiplinger Magazine uh, talks about how smart it is for the investor to invest in so-called sin stocks. And here's the reason why he says that. He says, especially in economic downturns, that these are, are sure bet stocks. Number one, people are going to continue to gamble and to smoke and to drink no matter what. And he said, number two, when things get bad, people gamble more, they smoke more, and they drink more. How sad that people turn to those other things when there is a God like Isaiah reveals for us. You sung the song, right? I've tried the road of sin and found its prospects all deceived. I've proved my Lord and joys abound more than I could believe. And so as I see the God that is revealed who's great, He is great because of His tenderness. And His tenderness is seen in that He smooths the way of life. That doesn't mean the way of life is always smooth. But it means that our God cares. He sees. And He is there to aid and to help us. But then also I see that His tenderness is revealed in that He brings good news. He gives it through the prophet. And He says, isn't it interesting here, in an evangelistic passage in verse 9, He says, I want you to tell all the nations. When I think about my God, I think about how that good news came into my life. Do you remember? Do you remember when you were studying God's Word before you had become obedient to it? And it begun to dawn on you that this is the truth and I need to respond to that truth? That Jesus died in my place and that I am lost and I am separated from Him eternally? But there's hope. There's a way. And do you remember as that moment came closer that you decided, I've got to do this? Perhaps your heart began to race and maybe your blood pressure rose and, and then you made that decision. Do you remember as you're changing clothes and getting ready to be baptized? Do you remember that anticipation and that hope that these sins that have stained your soul are about to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus? Do you remember how it felt when you came up out of the waters of baptism? How God, through the blood of Jesus, absolved the guilt, gave you a new identity, and forgave you of your sins, took those sins, He cast them in the depths of the sea, He cast them behind His back, He made them as if they were not, and He remembers them no more. Is there any better news than that? When we think about the greatness of our God, His greatness is seen in that He is tender. And His tenderness is seen in that He brings good news. And this good news we want to share. It was mentioned several times that I have three sons. I love and I'm proud of all three of them. But I remember when our oldest was born. November 13th, 1993, Jeff Anderson Hospital in Meridian, Mississippi. It was on a Saturday evening. I remember for some reason that Notre Dame and Michigan were playing. They had that TV on where my wife was in labor. 
And so you know how vivid details come out. But I remember he was born at 523 in the evening. And for whatever reason, I can't remember that. Now I had to go to Walmart. You know, when I left the, that delivery room, I went to an elevator and I saw three or four strangers I'd never met before. You know what I told them? I'm a dad. He's got my name and he's beautiful. And I remember going down the elevator, going out to Walmart. I encountered people in the parking lot, in the parking garage, and at the, ca- the cashier at Walmart, back before you could do it for yourself and you had to have a cashier to do it. I remember telling her, I am a dad. Why? Because it's good news. It means so much to me. And when I think about our tender God and the tenderness that He brings into our own life, it's news that we need to share with others so that they can experience that side of God that He wants us to see. But then also I understand that this tenderness is seen in that He rewards. In verse 10, He rewards and recompenses. This is a message that is found throughout Scripture. Now, how does He reward us and how does He recompense us? It depends on how we respond to Him. But Scripture tells us in Matthew 16, 27, in Romans 2 and verse 6, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, that He wants to reward us with eternal life. But He's going to reward us according to our works. But the cross is proof positive that He wants to give us eternal life. Then also I see that His tenderness is seen in that He shepherds. Oh, if we could take the time to walk through the many vivid pictures that Isaiah is painting in Isaiah chapter 40. But the picture here is as beautiful as you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Do you see how our God is depicted for us? And do you see as He progresses through that He tends His sheep? I was raised in some small towns in Georgia. We had vegetable gardens. We never dealt with livestock. Maybe some of you have and you appreciate the challenge that comes in intending livestock and sheep. We talk about the various challenges that are specific to that animal. But what I want you to focus on is the shepherd, the one in charge there, as he tends to the needs of the sheep. But it goes beyond just the provision says that he gathers them. Can you envision this picture of God as he envelops and raises? And then Isaiah says that he carries them. In your moments of grief and the challenges to your faith, Have you ever encountered those times when you needed the everlasting arms? Isaiah depicts our God as a shepherd who longs to gather and to tend and to care for his sheep. And then he leads them. Causes me to ask, what is your picture of God? How do you see him? Do you see God as a God who is perched at the precipice of the portals of heaven, who is standing there waiting for you to just mess up so that He can strike you and punish you? If that's your picture of God, it's woefully inaccurate. Look at the first sin in the Bible. And we look in Genesis chapter 3 and we see that Eve is deceived and Adam goes along with her into that and they rebel against God and they buy the lie that He's unjust and that He's unfair. And because God is just, He's going to have to keep His word and He's going to punish them. And He is going to address Adam and Eve and the serpent and He is going to punish them according to what they've done and He's going to have to expel them from paradise. But how do you see that taking place? 
Genesis 3, 8 and 10 says he looks for them. He goes after them. And he initiates conversation with them. The world likes to tell us that God wants to strike us with cruel and unusual punishment. But as I examine passages like Isaiah 41 through 11, I know it's just not so. Our God is great because of His tenderness. But then second, our God is great because He is transcendent. In verse 12 through 27, we see a contrasting characteristic of God. And we see His greatness as much with that as we do with the other. When we say transcendent, we mean one who operates outside of the limitations of the material universe, not subject to those laws. He is the creator of those laws. And so as we think of His transcendence, we're thinking of His infinite uh, uh, nature. And Isaiah breaks that down for us. First picture that he gives us is that God has infinite presence. In verse 12, we have another beautiful picture. And I want to walk through those very briefly. First of all, he talks about that water. The water there, when you think about how much water is on earth, I didn't realize this. Did you know there are 326 million billion gallons of water on earth? 97% of that's salt water. Only 3% of that's fresh water. And two-thirds of the fresh water is locked up in the ice caps and glaciers. But with 1% of that water, God sustains life for 7.7 billion people. You flushed water today that's potable, that's drinkable. In most places, we do that in this country. God takes that 1% with the other 99% and He places it in the hollow of His hand. Presumably, it doesn't spill out at all. Our infinite God has that kind of presence. It goes beyond that. You begin to measure how vast the universe is. Light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. A light year is the distance that it takes for light to travel at that speed for a whole entire year. And scientists try to give us some kind of idea about how vast our universe is. And they tell us that in diameter it is 92 billion light years across. Or in diameter. That's a number so big we can't even comprehend that. But God measures it from the tip of the finger to the shoulder. He measures it by span. God says, there it all is. But then I look further and I begin to examine that, the, that when we see God in His infinite presence, what about the, the weight of the earth? The earth is the heaviest planet in our solar system. And again, I don't know how they measure this, but it's 6.6 sextillion metric tons and God, He measures the dust as if it were nothing. He takes in His mind's eye the, every mountain. There are 56 that are 14,000 feet and higher in the state of Colorado. There's Mount Everest. There's, but there's also that little hill that's on the, the, the property that you visited over in the neighboring state. God takes every one of those. And He says, I can tell you to the micro ounce how heavy they are. This God... Psalm 139 is everywhere. And yet He is excluded from nowhere. When we think about our own lives, how often have you said, I wished I was at two places at once. We can't do that. But God is everywhere. 
including right here. So as I think about my God, He is transcendent. He is above all. And I see that in His infinite presence. But I also see that as I look further at His infinite knowledge, there are a series of four rhetorical questions that are asked in verse verse 13, or actually in verse 12. And and they're all meant to give us the same thing. The idea that God doesn't take counsel from anyone. He doesn't need information from anyone. He is the resource, the reservoir of all knowledge. We use that term omniscient. That is, He knows everything. And as we think about that, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12 tells us, how much does God know? God knows what you need before you even ask, Matthew 6 and verse 8. God knows what is in every man, John 2, verse 25. God knows who does not believe in Him and who will betray Him, John 6 and verse 64. God knows the contents of our heart, Luke 16 and verse 15. And in this particular book, Isaiah He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so also are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. God has seen to it that we know everything that we need to know, and He has revealed to us only that for which He holds us accountable. But God has no limitation and how much He knows. Then I also see that His transcendent is apparent in His infinite power. And that's where Isaiah spends the most of his time in verse 12 through verse 27. In verse 15 through verse 27. In that great part of the paragraph, He shows His power. God's power is greater. It's greater than the nations of earth. Verse 15 through 17. It is greater than other gods, verse 18 through verse 20. It is greater than the earth itself, verse 22. God's power is greater than the rulers of earth, verse 23 and 24. And God's power is greater than the universe, verse 25 and 26. But what does that mean to you and me in 2019? That means that God is more powerful than China or Russia or America. It means that God is more powerful than sex and sports and education and fame and anything else that we put above God in our lives. It means that God is more powerful than hurricanes and global warming. It means that God is more powerful than the president, than the House and the Senate and the U.S. Supreme Court justices. It means that God is more powerful than electromagnetic pulses and catastrophic meteor showers. God is more powerful. And so I put my trust in Him and none of those other things. What does that mean to a church? You have a little board outside that has a figure. It's your building fund. Your design, your plans are to build a building. Presumably, if not on this spot, somewhere else. You're planning. You're giving generously. You're doing everything that you can. But may I suggest to you that you can't build a building. You can't reach this community with New Testament Christianity. You cannot do anything worthwhile without His help. That's why you pray 
And that's why you work in accordance with or in conjunction with those prayers. But so often we've exhausted all of our resources and we've done all that we can. That's when we lean on God and that's when we see God really go to work. God's power is real. If not, why does anything that we're doing matter? But what about in my individual life? I can lose my job. I can lose my family. I can lose my friends. But I'll never lose Him. I also see that I can come across a problem that's got me so perplexed that I can't begin to solve it, but He is still in control. I may be so weary from this life, but God sees and God cares. I'll put my trust in a God like Isaiah describes, who has infinite presence, who has infinite knowledge, and who has infinite power. You know, we could end the lesson right now. God is so great because He is tender. And He's so great because He's transcendent. But as the infomercials say, but wait, there's more. There's one other thing I want to see. How great is our God? What does Isaiah say? He says He is tireless. We have seen something about the sweetness of God and the supremacy of God. But will you notice with me for a moment the stamina of God? On the screen in front of you is a cheetah. A cheetah is faster than a Lamborghini. Goes from zero to 60 in less than three seconds. Has powerful jaws and keen eyesight. I don't know if you have the ability to, but if you could outrun him for a minute, you're going to outrun him because he's going to give up. All that power and speed has a limit. He tires out. A lady named Kim Allen was an ultra-long-distance runner in New Zealand. And in 2013, she set about, I don't know why, to break the Guinness World Record for the longest period of time running without stopping. Wound up to be 86 hours. Can you imagine that? 310 miles. She didn't sleep Thursday night. She didn't sleep Friday night. She didn't sleep Saturday night. She ran all day Sunday, got to the end of the day Sunday. But she had to stop and sleep. Randy Gardner, back when they used to keep this record, 1964 said, I think I'm going to try to go for the record for the longest time without sleep. And so the man went 264.4 hours. You can do the math as to how many days that is. Other folks tried to come along and break that record. And Guinness said we want no part of encouraging that kind of activity. But the point is, whether it's Randy Gardner or somebody else who went uh, uh, those that period of time, ultimately he had to sleep and rest. But God is presented to us as the one with the all-seeing eye that never droops and never closes. And he tells us two things. First of all, God says, uh, Isaiah says that God does not grow weary. That's how he's described in verse 28. You know that problem that keeps you up all night long and that you're wrestling with and you're agonizing over? He sits upon the circle of the earth ready to help. And then he says, God helps those who are weary. I love the beautiful description in verse 29 through verse 31. We even sing that 31st verse, don't we? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is saying, I see, I care. You're not going to wear me out. I'm here. Napoleon Bonaparte 
said that God is with the strongest battalion. Waterloo proved him wrong, so is history. Abraham defeated four kings and their armies with 318 men. Gideon defeated an army of thousands with just 300 men. And David faced off against Goliath, this battle-tested, hardened warrior with his armor and his huge spear with just a slingshot and a few smooth stones. What does that mean for me today? No matter how worthless the world and others, and I think I am, I meant so much that God gave the very best for me. No matter how weak I feel, I can lean on the everlasting arms. And no matter how weary I am, God says, I stand ready to give you rest. God is not with the strongest battalion. God is with the righteous who put their trust in Him. We should not ask, is God on our side? What we need to ask this morning is, are we on God's side? We don't have to guess that for ourselves. Scripture tells us this song to encourage you is to encourage you to act on the facts of the gospel with your whole heart, understanding the importance of what happened for you on the cross. That Jesus died for you to give you salvation. And He tells you how to get it. You'll believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of sins and be baptized. He'll wash away your sins in accordance with His promise. And if you're a child of God who's wandered away from Him, He says, I'm faithful and just to forgive you if you will confess your sins. 1 John 1 and verse 9. He longs to help you. If we can throw our arms around you and pray with you and for you, if there's any need that we can help you, won't you respond right now as we stand and sing?